0: Welcome to the Diversity and Inclusion on-air podcast. This podcast is a program of the Association of American Veterinary Medical Colleges Diversity Matters Initiative. The podcast explores various issues related to diversity and inclusion in the veterinary profession and provides the AAVMC an opportunity to offer ongoing diversity programming to our member institutions, as well as the uh, veterinary profession at large. My name is Dr. Lisa Greenhill, and I'm the Associate Executive Director for Institutional Research and Diversity at AAVMC. So I'm very excited. This has been a show a long time in the works. So um, today's show is our LGBT roundtable. We've got four um, participants who I am just delighted to kind of sit down and chat with. And uh, so those individuals are are Dr. Nikki Wright, Dr. Jane Whitaker, Dr. Malcolm Cram, and Dr. Mike Zeebler, who is a student at UFL. So I'm going to let our guests um, take a moment to introduce themselves, and then we will dive
1: in. So, Nikki. That a little okay, bit about hey guys. Yourself. Um, I'm a 2014 grad from the University of Pennsylvania. I've been in practice in Pennsylvania in the suburbs of Philly, um, at Banfield, at the same location now for almost coming up on three years. Um, so I do strictly small animal work. Sometimes I get the opportunity to do a, a day here and there, doing like high volume spay neuter. Um at the shelter. I just got legally married to my amazing wife this weekend. Um, We are still having, woo! We are still having our big um, wedding that we've been planning in May, but just like given all of the scary things in the climate right now, we just wanted to make sure that we had the opportunity to do that. Um, And we have two dogs and one cat and one fish
0: great congratulations um i'm so excited for you so Dane.
2: hey my name is uh dr dane whitaker and i am a uh, small animal practitioner primarily um can you guys hear me okay okay good Mm -hmm. um and i have been in practice in the san francisco bay area for probably about 18 years and recently about two years ago, went back to school at UC Davis to get a master's in preventive veterinary medicine. So I'm just finishing that degree now and not really exactly sure what I'm gonna do when I'm done with it, but um, hopefully gonna move into something that's more related to conservation and uh, marine ecology, thinking about potentially maybe even going on and doing a PhD. Um, But at this point I'm doing Uh, finishing up my master's and doing relief work in the Bay Area, primarily uh, in small animal practice. Um, And I'm also a board member of the LGBMA and have been very active um, with that group in San Francisco. And um, yeah, basically, I'm just really happy to be here and be participating in the podcast today.
0: Great. Thank you. Dr. Malcolm Cram.
3: Uh, well, I'm the uh, I'm the old guy on this panel, um, and with Nikki saying she's been out three or four years, I remember when she graduated. I graduated in 1974, um, and we never would have had this type of podcast or discussion at that point in time. So I'm thrilled to be here. Um, uh, my claim to fame is that I've been on the podium with. Lisa several times to discuss diversity and inclusion, which is really the highlight of my life. Um, And in my spare time, I'm now semi-retired, I'm doing integrative medicine. um, Similar to Dane, I went back to school after a 20-year period of working for Pfizer Animal Health and um, learned acupuncture, and so now I'm in a specialty hospital in Delaware doing um, primarily acupuncture, and also I do some companion animal medicine at a separate hospital, um, but that's much more Western medicine. Um, I've had uh, been fortunate enough to be what they call an AVMA fellow, so I worked in the House of Representatives um, for the Ag Committee, for a year and then for ABMA. And way back when, in the 70s and 80s, during the height of the AIDS um, epidemic, I owned a practice on the Upper East Side of Manhattan for 20 years.
0: A lot, wonderful. Thank you for joining us. It's always been a pleasure to work with you and share share space and time with you as well, Malcolm. So Michael, Michael Zeebler, tell us about yourself.
4: Hi, uh, my name is Mike. I am a fourth year um, at the University of Florida. So six more months and I'm looking for a job if anybody's hiring. <laughs> um, I am currently the secretary for um, Broad Spectrum Veterinary Student Association. Um, we are the National uh, Student Association for um, LGBT students. Um, and I'm married to my lovely wife for three years now. and We have three dogs, and a cat.
3: Wonderful.
0: Congrats and welcome. Um, Yes, if anybody's uh, uh, hiring, hit us up. (laughs) Let us know. (laughs) Michael's looking for a job. So why don't we dive in? Um, This is uh, supposed to be a roundtable, so certainly um, I've got a lot of questions for you, and certainly we've had some questions that were sent in. um, to facilitate this conversation, but I don't want it to just be me asking you questions. Certainly, I would love to hear um, you really talk amongst yourselves about your experiences. So with that, one of the first questions that I have, um, and I will um, pitch this to our senior veterinarian. (laughs) Um, What was it like when you were in vet school? Malcolm?
3: Um, I don't think I can remember back that far. No, um, it was a a very um, male environment, contrary or in contrast to today, where the majority of veterinary students in the colleges are women. Um, women were denigrated, um, and they, I had I was at Cornell, and ours was one of the largest classes with women, we had 60 students and we had eight women, and um, I hate to tell you what they went through. Um, You would never have mentioned anything about being gay or lesbian at that time. You could lose your position at the university. And um, unfortunately, I've known of a couple of people who actually did, not at Cornell, but at some of the other institutions who show. Remain unnamed. So it was a really tough time. Um, I came in being a city boy from New York City. Um, and believe it or not, that was something to be picked on. And on top of it, I was Jewish. And um, there weren't very many Jews. And so um, we were, we felt like in some cases, second class citizens. In other cases, um, there were faculty and other students who were very open to us and very willing to um, to listen. And at that point in time, I was extremely closeted. So um that's kind of what I remember from my from my years way back when. And I'm glad to say that at least from my experience now at Cornell, it has evolved considerably. But I still think it's somewhat of it's not something that the schools kind of promote. And the one thing that I'll just throw out here is I recently had an opportunity to um, be involved with an LGBT scholarship at um, a local Philadelphia medical college. And they actually promoted it to their alumni that they were the first medical college um, to have such a scholarship. Well, Cornell's had a scholarship for LGBT um, students and or or residents for, I want to say, going on at least 10 years. And while they're happy to tell you if you ask, it's never been promoted. And I believe that they're the only veterinary school that has a specific scholarship for the LGBT.
2: Yeah, I guess my... um experience in vet school was maybe like completely the opposite of Malcolm's um, because when I was in vet school it was I graduated in nineteen ninety four and I was a very out lesbian at the time and I came out in the age of act up and queer nation which were all very active queer groups that were really you know we were about having pride and and having um having each other's backs and really being out there in the world for each other to to combat the AIDS epidemic. And it was a very empowering period of time in my life. So to be in that and then be in vet school during it, you know, I kind of felt like, Hey, if you've got a problem with me, bring it on. You know, I was, I was ready to take on the world, you know? So it was a very interesting time to be in school and to be very out and to feel like I had this community of support, not necessarily from my fellow vet students, but from my queer community. And in general, I think things went pretty well for me in school. Um, There were, you know, I got some comments from the large animal residents. You know, there's always kind of the large animal group that would would say things. And, you know, you, you just sort of knew to expect that, but I felt very supported by my my peers, and really didn't have a, a tremendous amount of discrimination. Um, so I felt very fortunate for that. But you know, I think it was an interesting time to be to be in school and be and sort of have this attitude that you know I felt kind of like I could take on the world.
0: A big difference. Um, Mike, I'd be interested in kind of hearing a little bit about your current experience. It seems that uh, certainly there's the evolution, and Nikki, feel free to, to, to jump in as well.
4: So, you know, I originally coming into vet school when I had applied, um, I didn't, I had a really uh, tough time deciding whether I was going to put that I was transgendered on my uh, application. Um, and I had had some feedback well, you can, but kind of don't make that a big part, you know, of your essay. I mean, the essay called for uh, diversity, so I made the decision to go ahead and put it in there, but um, I, I didn't make it a big part of my essay, like they said. Um, during my uh, interview, um, we didn't really talk about it, it kind of like the elephant in the room. Um, I asked them at the end um, if they had any LGBT groups on campus, and they kind of, said, well, I think there's one, but we're not sure. So I kind of got that feedback. So I was like, okay, well, I'm just going to kind of not say anything and just keep my profession separate from, you know, being transgendered. And then I guess when uh, the North Carolina um, HB2 law came out, um, I had an issue with going to Humane Alliance um, in North Carolina to do a spay neuter uh, externship. And so Um, it came up to where I was like, well, what do I do about this? And, um, you know, how are these laws going to affect me? And so I started getting involved at that point and the diversity matters symposium happened to be at UF at the time. Um, so I thought, well, this is a better time than any to come out. And it was the best experience I've ever had. Um, the, the climate at UF is amazing. Um, they're taking a lot of dramatic steps right now to make everything better. Um, and, um, Dr. Lloyd is, is on top of his game with, uh, really trying to work within the college to create, um, better, um, education as far as, uh, diversity goes, but on, on a personal level, um, all the faculty administration, everybody has been very supportive of me coming out. So, um, I don't, it leaves you one of those, why didn't I do this sooner kind of things. So.
0: Great. I'm glad to hear
4: that.
0: Yeah. Do you want to chime in?
1: Oh sure. Yeah. Um, I definitely remember that at that schools and thinking to myself like I have a lot of family in Florida and Texas, but I was a little bit scared to potentially be moving there as a lesbian and someone who's not very good at being discreet or modest about any part of my identity. Um, So I felt like, you know, I definitely backed that into my search for a veterinary school. And, you know, that was one of the things that actually really drew me to Penn was that it was urban and that, you know, it had a lot of outlets and support systems in place already for diversity, not necessarily within the vet school so much, but within the broader university. Um, but yeah, I, I think that during vet school, like watching, you know, gay marriage become protected on a, a federal level, um, it just, I, I mean, I felt like we were on top of the world and I still feel like we're in a really amazing place. I've ha- I had a really supportive um, community at vet school and I continue to be very fortunate to have um, a really supportive community at my practice. But I am concerned um, with the recent climate and after the election for the safety um, and the lives of our LGBTQ brothers and sisters, um, especially in those states where I was hesitant to, you know, apply as someone who is LGBTQ. Um, so I think that you know this definitely has been a little bit of a wake-up call for me. Um, that you know we've gotten a little bit complacent um but i want to figure out what's the best way for us to support not only the veterinarians but the veterinary students in those places where you know people are now feeling that they can you know act on their hate so
0: yeah these are these are different times um and uh the situation i think is constantly evolving so um so in thinking about that, I'd love for the four of you to kind of talk a little bit amongst yourselves about um the what is um you know what role do organizations like the LGBMA and Broad Spectrum have in creating safe spaces um for professionals as well as um for students.
4: So I can kind of speak on that as far as what um Broad Spectrum is doing, um, we are, um, we are working with, um, Marielle has given us a, a good funding to um, start um, creating umbrella chapters um, throughout the schools, uh, as well as chapters that are already, are clubs that are already established, being able to um, collect them under our umbrella as Broad Spectrum and adopting our mission and vision statement um and in doing that we're giving them um support at a national level um which i think is super important especially like nikki was saying in some of those uh more rural areas where they don't feel like um they have support so that's one thing we're doing we're also um looking at um, i'll be talking at iverson bell on a panel um trying to come up with some ideas um i don't i hesitate to use the term best practices but we're coming up with some ways for um the veterinary colleges to implement um strategies um to uh, really help their students uh, especially lgbt students
2: yeah i think um there coming from san francisco there's always been a lot of um well a, a, a lot of discussion among a lot of the practitioners there who are lgbt Q, that maybe the LGBMA isn't relevant anymore. I mean, why Why do we need to, you know, everybody just accepts us anyway, but that's the luxury of living in a bubble. And I think, especially now, since the climate is going to change dramatically and that, you know, not everybody lives in that bubble. And I think it's, it's gonna be extremely important for organizations like the LGBMA to really be visible and really have strategies in place to, provide support to people who do live outside the bubble and people who will not only just be, you know, afraid to come out, but afraid for their lives potentially. And I think that it's going to be really, really important to, to really come together and recognize that we are very, very relevant and now more so than ever, and to really Put out there that you know we have resources you're not alone and really be be a resource not just in in
4: word but in deed as well absolutely we need the lgvma um because for the simple fact of during the hb2 situation i didn't know who to reach out to i was not out at my school and i reached out to the avma and they said well contact north carolina avma I did that and I was told that it was a um, civil issue and that they had no uh, bearing or couldn't do anything for me, which I felt very confused about because it was more than just a civil issue. For me, it was an educational and professional issue. Um, At that point, I said, well, who is my advocate? And I was able to uh, get in contact with the LG AVMA. And from then on, I was highly supported. I uh, I knew where to go, I knew where to get information at that point and I had people who were advocating for me. So, um it's extremely important that we have LGVMA. Yeah. And I, I feel can, like I had, Oh, go ahead. I was going to say um
3: I I remember the days when um the LGBMA was VEX, um which was a very um secretive organization. Um, and in fact, um, one of the originators actually put a an advertisement in the Javma Journal, um, saying that if you were going to the ABMA meeting and you happened to be, and I don't remember the specific language, but basically, gay or lesbian, that we were going to a group of people were going to try to get together on the down low, um, and that's when all this started. And Um, I think that LGBMA has brought all of this to the forefront. Um, And while I'm still disappointed in AVMA's response to um, the LGBT community in general, it has gotten much better than where it was. But really, one of LGBMA's best friends has been um, the JAMA Journal because way, way back, um, it was JAVMA that put articles about the LGBT community, about HIV, in front of veterinarians and got them started at least discussing this. And I think today, it's it's my opinion that um, some of the schools are doing a really good job um, similar to what Nikki has said about Penn. And I think Cornell and Tufts and UC Davis are very well aware of this in Florida. Um, But some of the Southern schools, I still think are very, very rigid. And if you were to come out as part of the LGBTQ community, you're gonna be hassled in one way, shape or another. It may be um, on the quiet side, be much more vociferous, so to speak, and I don't know how the faculty will deal with that. I know that um, because I've been involved with Cornell so much, I know that um, there was an issue several years ago, and the dean basically told a tenured member of the faculty that if attitudes weren't changed, that that person was potentially going to lose tenure. So I think that type of feedback, and especially when it gets out publicly, is something that makes us as part of the LGBT community feel a little more comfortable and a little safer. Um, But I wouldn't say that it is something that you um, walk into a practice and you say, I'm here, I'm queer, and now I'm ready to work. you need to, at least in my opinion, you need to kind of get a feel for what's going on in that practice and whether or not you're really going to be welcome.
1: Great.
0: So, that brings me to a, a question. We have a number of questions that um, were submitted early. And um, a couple of these might really be questions that um, Nikki and Michael might um, that position to answer. So, um, the first question is What advice would you give to students entering clinics about how staff, faculty, and clients will accept or perceive them if they present themselves
4: as LGBT? So, um, well, so I have an interesting perspective on that. Um, I present pretty much as a white heterosexual assistant or male to clients and to faculty who didn't know that I was out, um, but now that faculty knows it's much easier. However, um, I've not had any negative experiences. I've had interesting experiences from a, um, a gender variant standpoint. I've had um, interactions where the there'll be all women on my rotation and then just me and there's a male um client who tends to treat women a little bit in a sexist manner or a little bit um flirtatious i'll put that nicely and so instead of them educating the client on how to behave uh they will send the male student into that uh room with that client um and i don't feel like that's appropriate um so you know, being able to educate my clinicians and, um, make administration aware of those things that are happening. Um, and being able to, when a client is misbehaving, being able to, you know, say, sir, you know, your behavior is not appropriate. So I've had uh, a couple instances with that, but as far as faculty and administration, um, on clinics, I've been out and my advice was just be out. Um, you know you'll find out who accepts you and those that don't um more than likely you'll have administration that will have your back on that so um i say be out and and don't worry about it be comfortable be yourself um and uh you'll find the support there's plenty of people out there that are going to support you so nikki one of
0: the other questions that we had was um did you or do you include um, your LGBT-related activities, volunteerism, leadership positions, all of those kinds of things? I guess for any of you, do you include those on your resumes and CVs? And is that the way that you potentially um, out yourself? What are your thoughts on that um, for folks that um, may be entering the job market soon? Or even kind Yeah,
1: of for I, rotations. I think I kind of took um, the, what Michael was saying, like, I feel like if I'm going to be a part of a team or dedicating, you know, a large amount of time to spend with a group of people, I don't want to have to hide any part of myself. And so even though I do realize that, you know, it may not always work In my favor, my hope is that someone would just see that as like, oh, leadership experience, not like, oh, gay leadership experience, you know, like, and maybe if they did see it as that, that it would be a good thing. But um, who knows? It's important to, you know, however you feel comfortable, of course, because not everyone is as obnoxiously extroverted as I am. Um, But I think however you feel comfortable being yourself and expressing that, you know, this is a part of who I am and just kind of like testing the waters, I think that's important for you to be able to find hopefully a match where you will feel at home and you will feel a part of your team. So I was very, very fortunate in that previous mentor who was also very active in LGBMA is one of the reasons that I um, started even looking into Banfield. And then thankfully, you know, I just had a really great experience but that was kind of my door into Banfield. so I knew that it was probably going to be kind of safe, you know. <laughs> sure. Um, but definitely, it's always one of those things where we're comfortable just leaving that type of stuff off, and I just feel like you know what, I might as well just put it on there, and if it means I don't get an interview, then so be it, you know. Yeah, so, I think. Yeah, go ahead, Dave.
2: I was just going to say, I think that actually using that that could be a way to kind of weed out places where maybe you don't want to end up because if you yeah. if you're on an application and you end up not getting that job because those people aren't comfortable with it, then maybe that's not a place that you would be comfortable working anyway. And I yeah. think that it also really depends on where you're applying, right? If you're, you know, decide that you need to move back to, Central Oklahoma or something, and you, you, maybe that's not the place to be out if if that's where you really need to work. But I think for me, it was interesting because I had the experience of applying to veterinary school essentially twice. Right, I applied back in the '90s and, and or the late '80s, and I didn't I didn't say anything about being gay on my um, on my application. But then when I applied to go back to Davis recently for the MPVM program. You know, they're asking, you know, one of the things they want you to to address is how can your, what diverse, what diversity can you bring to the table? What can you add to our program? So I was, I was all over that. Like, yes, I'm trans. This is what I could bring to this program. This is an amazing asset. And I use it as an asset. And I think, I think it can work very well in that respect. So it really just depends on the situation that you're in and what you're comfortable with.
0: Yeah, one of the follow-up questions that we had was how do state protections or, or frankly lack of those protections really affect um your choices in terms of where to live and where to work um and um i'm imagining that's a pretty personal kind of decision about whether or not you you know can can tolerate being in um certain jurisdictions where you don't have those kinds of protections but uh, I'd love to hear um any advice that anyone has on on um students who maybe or even other professionals who are thinking about maybe a big move. Um you know, you're just you can't avoid everywhere, right?
3: <laughs> well, I'll I'll throw in my two cents here, Lisa, and say, you know, we've been talking about universities and we've been talking about um practices, but we also haven't we haven't really addressed Um, the animal health industry, and um, I think we should be, and the reason is that I think that the industry, you know, the Mariel's, the Pfizer now Zoetis's, those have been a lot more LGBT friendly um, than the routine practice has been. Um, You know, they have harassment bases in, in place. I remember when I first applied um, to Pfizer, um, I was coming from AVMA that had no um, harassment in um, discussions or anything, and um, I noticed that in the in my application, when I went for an interview, they said that if your spouse needed a job. Um, because you were relocating, which I was, I was moving from D.C. up to Philadelphia, that they would help. And I went, you know, right up front to the HR person and said, um, my partner is coming up with me. Um, Do you, you know, it says that you'll help, will you? And she looked at me for a minute and um, she said, absolutely. You know, that's what we say we're going to do and that's what we believe in. And um, I often talk to students today, or new graduates who are in the LGBT community, and um, if they're really unhappy in the areas that they're working, I suggest that they do look into into industry because I think the environment there is a lot more comfortable. And even if you're working in in a town or a state that may not be as friendly to the LGBT you have the protection of the organizations that you work for. So just just a thought on that.
4: Great advice. Well, I'm I'm currently job hunting. Um, so um, I'm looking at, at any jobs that I look at. I'm looking into those. Especially if, um, right now I'm looking into Banfield because they do provide, um, like and Nikki said, they do provide protections, LGBT protections. Um, they do have um, cover transgendered related medical issues in, um, their, um, the health package. So that's something that's very appealing to me. Um, and so I don't look just at area, but I'm also looking at company-wise and what the Mars company right now stands for. Um, and right now, um, I'm more drawn towards larger companies because those companies are, have a stance and have, uh, you know, protections versus, um, a standalone small animal hospital somewhere that I have no idea, you know, I'm basically the practice manager, the practice owner. I'm, you know, it's a much smaller community. All right,
0: you're good. Yeah, Yeah, sure. So it sounds um, like um, some of the recommendations might include looking at um, companies or even practices or wherever employers that have Um, clear um, non-discrimination policies, non-harassment policies, um, and um, really do practice what they preach in terms of diversity and inclusion. And so those are certainly things to ask about um, as you apply and as you um, interview. We actually did a show on some of these issues earlier this spring um, that was actually inspired by... um, the, the passage of HB2 in North Carolina, um, because we were concerned at AAVMC about the implications for, um, particularly for your students who might be doing rotations um, in that in that state. And so, um, I'll be posting a link to that original show that we did. I think probably in March or April of this year. Um, and actually, I just heard that the governor uh just conceded just got a text message from our folks at instant state Um, so there may end up being some movement on hb2 um in the next year so we'll stay tuned for that so um some of the other questions that um we had is what kinds of um, what what would you like to see in terms of changes in, in vet school and the global veterinary community in regards to lgbt issues kind of a big loaded question so what what are your dream
4: what are your dreams in the veterinary world I have a list <laughs> great hang on one second let me, I wrote these down so um some of the things that I'm working with at UF with um and um with Dr. Lloyd and his staff um Um, I would like admission committees to be trained to talk to applicants about LGBTQ issues and be knowledgeable about what the CVM has to offer in terms of support. If the CVM is asking for a diversity essay as part of the application process, then they should be prepared to discuss those issues. Um, I want to make sure that everyone gets a copy of on-campus non-discrimination policy during their orientation, um, including information on, on their diversity clubs, such as Voice or Broad Spectrum or um, even if they don't have uh, an LGBT club there, give them LGVMAs information. Um, I would like to have diversity training for administrators, faculty, and student leaders. Um, this one is super important to me, to make sure that all externships should be screened for potential LGBTQ issues. Ideally, I would want them to be LGBTQ friendly. Um, at least have a list of the ones that where students can be placed accordingly if they need to. Um, and uh, having the administration and staff support LGBTQ uh, slash diversity clubs on campus in all ways possible. Um, so if a club does not exist, encourage the development of one. Um, and right now, uh, Broad Spectrum has that partnership with Marielle to provide financial support if there's any students listening who um, want to um, start a club at their school. Or if uh, you have an existing club that would like to go into the broad spectrum, um, Mission and vision statement. Um, also encourage students to participate in Sabma and Sabma Symposium. Their diversity initiatives. Um, get to know those. What is your What is your student representatives doing with that? Um, and just to let you all know, if any other students are listening, that Broad Spectrum is searching for new board members at Sabma Symposium in March. So if you're interested, um, contact us on that. Um, have mental health resources available. Um, so and they those. Uh, resources should be able to understand LGBTQ issues um, and go all the way through graduation uh, connect with LGBTQ graduates with LGbMA and set up LGBTQ friendly mentors um, and don't forget about um, interns and residents as well um, they need support they need uh, any LGBT uh, interns and residents need support and knowing that their school is supportive of them as well so That's my list we're working on. So So for anybody who's watching um,
0: or folks that will be listening Um, to the podcast later. Yes, Nikki? Nikki? So anybody who will be uh, listening to the podcast later, uh, um, if you um, missed Mike's list, don't worry. We will transcribe that list and publish it for you. (laughs) Um because there was some really great um information there and recommendations for um how to improve uh life with the with the colleges. Nikki, we can see you um and we can hear you. So uh I don't know if you can see and hear us, but but you're still live with us. Um does anybody have anything to add in the great big world <laughs> in the in the workplace world for, um, for this list, this magnificent list that Mike has created?
3: It's, it's difficult to add to a great list like that, but the, what I would like to see is that AVMA take a much more active role um, in, um, first off, understanding the demographics of the LGBT community with respect to veterinary medicine um the last time that they did a um, survey, one of, and I think they do surveys either every five or every 10 years of all of its membership, I had asked their demographer if they had asked about um, if anybody was LGBT. Uh, and they said, no, why would we do that? And so I'm hoping that with the next survey that it will dawn on them that this is this is an issue for our profession. And guess what? We do have LGBTQ veterinarians throughout the US and the world, and um, they're part of this organization. So that's clearly um, an area that I think we need. And you know, without uh, Lisa, your research, um, we, you know, the LGBT community would not have been elevated even to the veterinary school. So kudos to you for doing that.
0: Yeah. Minimal credit here. Minimal credit here. So, um, let's see, we still have about 15 minutes of this show left. Um, I'd love to know, um, about what kinds of questions you might have for each other. About your your life experiences, both in veterinary medicine, um, and uh, what advice would you give to your younger selves, Malcolm? I'm
2: gonna pick on you.
3: <laughs> My younger self is that with with or without gray hair. Uh,
0: As someone with a lot of gray herself, like we embrace the gray. We embrace.
3: Gray. <laughs> um, I I think. That it's important when you go for a job interview. Um, theoretically, your sexuality, your color of your skin should not matter, um, your or your religion, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. Um, however, I think we're all aware that to some people it does. Um, and I think you can learn a lot from just looking at the environment. Um, you know, somebody said to me once, "Well, do I just come out and say?" hey, I'm gay, do you have a problem with that? And, you know, I don't have a problem with it, but I think that another way of doing it might be a little more subtle, Um, and that is if you're going into a practice just to look around. um, I go out into one of the practices that I work and and I am amazed at the number of HRC stickers that are on people's cars, Ken Gorska, who's been um, a gift to LGVMA, um, he always says, you know that gay friendly practices will have uh, a flag on the front of their practice windows. And um, you can also take the perspective of a, a corporate interviewer, and what they do is they go online and they look at your digital footprint. And you can in turn look at, if you're thinking about a practice, look at its digital footprint, see whether or not it did something for National AIDS Day. Perhaps they um participated in an LGBT or <laughs> in an LGBT associated event in their town, et cetera. Um, and get a really get a feel for the environment you're you're in. You know, I would like to say that I have no problems walking in and saying, "Hey, I'm gay. Um, but I go back to the days when I could have been kicked out of school for it, and I do feel that for people in my generation that we still have a certain degree of trepidation, so we 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 move slowly and i just i just have to share this story with you and i'll shut up but when i was doing my um, acupuncture training the first day we had a little study group and we went around the table and i didn't know any of these people um and tried to introduce ourselves and everybody would say well you know my wife or my husband and we have three kids etc etc so i said, well, my partner is a physician, um, and, um, you know, we've been together for X number of years, and um, there was a, a very bright um, veterinary surgeon from the middle of the, the country who later on walked up to one of my other partners and said, I didn't understand, Malcolm. Does that mean that his partner's a an emergency physician, so they divide the practice up so they see human patients on one side and veterinary <laughs> patients on the other, and this was only five years ago, so you know, there's there's a lot of work that needs to be done out of there. There's still a lot of work that needs to be done, certainly.
0: Um, Any other uh, uh, words of wisdom? Uh, I think that we have lost Nikki to some connection problems. Um, Don't worry, though. uh, We will make sure that we get some commentary from her um, in the after party after show, so.
2: Um, Dane? Yeah, I was going to say, I think, you know, if if I had to tell my, my former self advice, I would probably tell myself to be more engaged and more active and more involved, especially now. Because I think as the political climate changes, things are going to get harder, and I think that young people really need to be on it and be engaged and to be to to be a real positive uh, force for change. And I think you know trying to overcome that complacency is is really important. Um, yeah, I think that uh, if I had to give my future self advice, uh, it would be to be a really out visible mentor because I think I see this all the time in schools you know especially here at Davis that kids are coming to me and saying who are my mentors who who are the queers on the faculty who are the people that I can turn to and look to that that have gone before and have done it and are, are role models and I think a lot of times the older faculty are more reluctant to be out either they're maybe afraid to be out for the sake of their jobs or tenure or whatever or you know they're just they just think that it doesn't matter or that it's not important and I, and I think it's so important for us to really be active visible mentors for the younger folks in the profession coming forward.
0: Yeah, mentorship is so important. Certainly we talk about that when we talk about differences around race um and um gender gender identity. Um and we talk about the importance of mirrors, but um, I think for all areas of difference, it's really important for people to see themselves. It's it's really kind of like seeing what's possible, right? And seeing um, what, um, that folks are, are able to kind of um, scale these mountains and to be successful and to do things. Um, certainly there was always someone who did it first, right? And kind of like move the boulders um, for those folks behind them. But but those types of mirrors are really important for people.
4: Um, Mike, did you have anything to add? Um, basically, um, I, I wanted to piggyback on what Dane said. Just, I, and I, I went and saw Matthew Shepard's mom speak one time, and I remember her saying, "Be out all day, every day." And I think the the more out you are, the more exposure you're you're exposing other people who may not have known an LGBT person. And I know that's hard, you know, when there's so many of us out there. But the veterinary community is a small community, and the LGBT community within the veterinary community is even smaller, you know. So it it I'm not saying that we're obligated to be out, but it it helps the profession if you're out and you're there um, as a student, as a faculty, as a resident, as an intern, as a, per, a veterinarian in the profession. Be out, be a mentor. It, it's absolutely important for us to know that you know we're not alone.
3: So,
0: great. And actually, uh, Nikki has texted me uh, something to add to that wish list, um, and so I'm going to uh, read what she's written. For me, I would like to add to the wish list that we as a profession acknowledge how biased the profession is mostly made up of white cisgendered heterosexual air quotes, women. We need to acknowledge that we have to work to do, that we have work to do to make our profession accessible to all different types of people. So um, that is um, words from the other side, (laughs) from the text message from Nikki, I thank you um, all. Any any last parting parting words there? Anybody got anything burning on their souls to share?
3: I just want to thank you, Lisa, for really taking the bull by the horns and, and doing this. And you've been, you really have been instrumental in raising this issue and being out there. And I think that, um, you know, we've talked about James talked about being activists and Michael has talked about being activists. And there are actually um, a lot of our straight colleagues who have been activists for us. And I think that they play a major role in um, building acceptance. And I recently read something about the fact that, you know, the best way to get acceptance is to kind of move in and let people see who you are. Um and oh, you know, over a period of time they're they're not going to be fearful of you, and they'll they'll actually defend you um and I've seen it happen over and over again, so those are kind of my last words
2: Absolutely. Yeah, I, I would just add to that and say, you know it's just important to be involved and be active and to to really know the resources that are out there, because you know we're all here. We've we've gone through it and we made it, and we're you know a testament to people that are coming up who are LGBTQ or other forms of diversity that need to be represented. And you know when I was in school, I didn't, none of these groups even existed. So just to have these resources now is so important and. Even if you think that they don't have anything to offer you, just just even going to a meeting or, or checking out a website can can just make the world a difference so just I, my advice to everyone would just get be, get it, to get involved
0: great right, right. well thank you all um, Nikki Dane Malcolm, and Mike uh, for joining us this evening. This has been a really cool discussion. Um, maybe we can do it again some time in 2017 so thank you for taking time out of your evening um for you west coasters your afternoon (laughs) for participating and thank you for the folks that have watched um the live stream version of this podcast so uh this is likely to be the last show for 2016 but we've got some wonderful things in the hopper for uh 2017 we will be doing a um uh, a schedule of the Learning Disabilities and Neurocognitive um, Difference podcast in early January. We've got plans to explore diversity and research. We'll be talking to our deans from uh, the UK and Ireland about um, the impact of Brexit um, on higher education in um, Europe and uh, all kinds of really great things. Um, One thing that I do want to bring to your attention, and that is something that we have up on um, numerous websites on Facebook pages, and that is um, we're interested in doing a show on how to be an ally, and that's how to be an ally for any group. Um, And so we're looking for submissions. So you can write out um, and type out your submissions and email them to me at diversitymatters at AAVNC. Or even better, you can kind of take out your handy dandy little gadgets that we all walk around with, hit that voice recorder, and give us a little bit of a recording on what you think it means to be an ally and how to be a good ally. And again, you can just drop that in an email and send that to me at diversitymatters at aabmc.org. So with that, we will bid you adieu. Thank you again to our guest, and um, thank you to our student producer Arturo Munez Seed. We are so wonderful um, to have you in the background as well as our student producer William who's a at Purdue. Um, so thank you so much for um, all of your help this year in 2016. And uh, we will see you in January. Thank you.